Welcome into episode nine of the House of L podcast. I am your host, Lawrence Holmes. Oh, I'm so looking forward to this week's episode. I want you to hear it because it was a lot of fun for me to break down and interview the guest for this week. It was a good time. It actually made me feel pretty good overall. People always ask me, and we don't spend that much time on this in the podcast. My guest this week is is Dan Zampillo. Dan is now the operations manager of ESPN Radio Los Angeles. And that comes after he had stints in Columbus and Detroit and New York and a couple other places where he was a program director or assistant program director. He was back in Chicago for a while working for WGN. But before all of that, Z was my partner. Like people ask me a lot about, hey, do you ever have a partner? Why do you choose to work by yourself? Well, I actually thought that Z and I had a chance to be a really good radio team. And we had a show back in the late 90s, early 2000s called The Me and Z Show. And that stemmed from the fact that people would be like, well, what's the show? And I was like, it's me and Z. And we would just kick it. And in here, he'll talk about how we were hired on the same day at the score, which is true. And how he would always get promoted and then I would get promoted behind him, but never getting promoted ahead of him, uh, which is something that we will discuss too. But I really thought that Z and I had a chance to do something cool in sports radio. I'm not sure that some of the stuff that we used to do would have kept us employed, honestly, because (laughs) some of it was really juvenile and childish and I'm glad that we've both kind of evolved, but I will tell you that I learned a a really valuable lesson about expectations and expectations of other people that my idea of what the future holds is different than what his was. And while I thought, well, man, we're going to be the super team and we're going to set the world on fire and we're going to be the next great duo at the score. He was thinking more realistically. And I, and overall he was probably right about the chances of us getting that opportunity and being allowed to grow in the third largest market in America. That's not an easy task uh, for, for a, a young duo to do, but I will say that what it made me do is it made me self-reliant to quote Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, that, that was the, probably the moment in my career where I said, I'm going to try and do this thing on my own. And when I say my own, I, I don't mean to disparage my production teams because a solo show can't work without a great production team. And throughout my tenure of doing radio, I've always had great producers that have allowed me to kind of take the show, reimagine it, and do some things with it. But learning partner dynamics that early on in my on-air career was important. And it wasn't like there was any issue between me and Z. Like Everything was great. I still look at that time very fondly as someone who loves doing radio and felt like 
I had a kinship and a partnership with someone that I not only adore, but respect. And that'll come through in the conversation with Z about all the things that that he's accomplished throughout his career. I, I think he's one of the really good minds out there in radio. Uh, I have a lot of respect for what he did and the fact that he ended up leaving Chicago and going to smaller markets to try to ply his trade, and now he's in market two, living a good life out in Los Angeles. But if, if you're looking for a window into my soul, that was probably the moment when Z decided that he wanted to be management instead of on air is a significant moment for me as a broadcaster because that was the moment where I decided to quote Buster Rhymes now that if I wasn't going to be part of the greatest that I'd be the greatest myself where else are you going to get Ralph Waldo Emerson and Buster Rhymes there's no other podcast that is going to give you both of those things any whoozle so yeah it was a a very important time for me like learning learning to be self-reliant and trying to figure out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it and looking at different templates from around the country to try and help that dream come true. But working with Z, man, we had a whole lot of fun. And if there was ever some bizarre scenario where Z would be interested in doing a show with me again, because he's he's out of practice. You'll be able to tell. Um, I would love it. I would love it. That would be a lot of fun, especially now where we've gone from being really dumb, early 20-something single men to Z's now father of two. I'm married, like all of this stuff. It's It's been quite the change and quite the ride. And I adore this man. So I hope that you enjoy it because we're going to go through some of this stuff on why he decided that this is what he wanted to do. But I think what might be even more important is some of the tips that he gives because now Z's a boss. So his words carry a whole lot of weight. So I hope you enjoy this. A little trip down memory lane, and there is some significant ball busting of yours truly that goes on with Dan Zampillo. Enjoy. Well, I made that decision when I was at the score, you know, definitely as a, as a sports director, and I have to thank, you know, Drew Hayes was kind of the one who said, when I told him that, he's like, all right, I'll show you the wires. It's all good. Uh, but as far as knowing I could do it, uh, it took me a while into the job before I felt like comfortable that I could do it. Uh, you know, I think that my first job was in Columbus, Ohio for a short amount of time. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And I like to pretend like I did, but I didn't, <laughs> I tried. And even in Detroit, I didn't completely know what I was doing. Uh, so it took me, I was in Detroit for three years. And I'd say it took me a couple years there to kind of find some, you know, find some footing. Well, what were young. the things that you didn't know? Well, I didn't know exactly how to deal with talent. It's different as a producer compared to running an entire radio station. So I just didn't know the intricacies on how to deal with talent and who, like how you talk to them and, and when you talk to them, all those little things. And, and also, I didn't understand 
the depth of politics that go into management at that point. You know, you, you've got to, to me now, I always think through when I'm doing something, like how is this going to impact all the people around me or what could be good about this and bad about this. You know, when you're young, you're just going, right? And then you do something and, you know, your boss isn't happy and you're like, uh-oh, I could have avoided that if I would have thought through it. So the politics of management are something I had to learn, you know, because I just, I didn't know. <laughs> I, I knew a little bit, but not, once you're in charge, you're in charge, you know, it's not, you could be mentored a lot, but then you just got to go figure it out. You were pretty young to be producing the shows that you were producing, how do you yeah. think that, how, how did that happen? Uh, so let's see. I mean, as far as when we when I started producing, I mean, you and I got hired on the same day. Yep. <laughs> you remember as a part-time uh part-time producers, but uh you know, I just like you similarly, although I know that you kind of had a, more of a drive towards on air in general, even at that point, although I had to learn politics of management, like I was always very, I tried to be very aware of what was going on, right? Like see where the opportunities were, talk to the right people about those opportunities, you know, show them I can do it on, you know, a, a smaller level so that they gain some trust in me. Like I was always kind of working it, right? Like I knew the, how do you work your program director and, you know, the, the senior producers at the radio station so you they will support you as you want to move up. Those sorts of things, I think, helped me. I was m pretty aware of those things, even as a young person. Um, you know, you had to figure out a lot more later on in life. But, and and I think you were very similar too in that way. Like you, the little bit of those like wise beyond your years. Like I'm not saying that I'm some smart guy because I did a lot of stupid things too. We can spend plenty of time on the podcast talking about those. But, <laughs> but you know, like there's a little bit of I always call it like you see the matrix, right? And you know, it's like, uh, I see what's going on here. And if I spend time with this person, there's probably a chance that they're going to think of, of me in this certain way. So I was always trying to work it like that. Plus, um, I was white and you were black, so I always got the advantage. <laughs> That's true. So I, it was great because I was like, oh, yeah, just definitely put me together with Lawrence because, you know. <laughs> That'll that'll make me look great. Let's go. Oh, we choose the white guy. No. No. It was great. That that was a tactical decision on my part. It, sure. it worked out for you really well. <laughs> it, it did. It like, we will move the white guy up first, and then the black guy after. If It'll there, be great. If there's something available after we move, <laughs> yeah, that's right. The white guy up. Then, we'll look to maybe maybe Lawrence can well, get his shot then. You were, I will say this about you, definitely to me more talented, and but also you were more outspoken, right? Yep. So th there was a little bit of like, whoa, <laughs> Lawrence, he's scary. And I was definitely a little bit more like, you know, I played it a little straighter. And that's just a little bit more of my personality. But, you know, they were, oh, Lawrence, that scary guy, he's going to talk back to us what do we do and so i think that that was that definitely came into play i always uh, i joke then. about on the air how like 43 year old lawrence <laughs> looks at 27 year old lawrence and goes 
dude, why are you so angry? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. what's what's going on, man? Like, why? And twenty-seven-year-old Lawrence, I'm sure, is looking back, going, "You sell out. You, why aren't you <laughs> screaming at the top of your lungs about everything?" But you have to try and figure out how to maneuver, and you have to try and figure out where you can be most effective and and actually help, and not just satiate your desire to be right about mm-hmm. something. Well, and you're, you know, you're emotionally evolving, right? I mean, you just do. Like when you're younger, you don't know the range of emotions. Like you don't understand how to use those to your advantage, I feel like. Uh, or not it, it's it's a more difficult prospect. Some people do, but you know, so you learn and you go, "Oh, I can kind of do this and I can, you know, I can maybe you don't have to be as mad and still get my point across. But the easiest place to go to, right, is start banging your fist. Like, yep. let's start there. And then we'll go, you know, from there we'll just figure it out. And, by the way, we grew up in a, a sports radio time where pounding the fist was pretty popular, right? I mean, that was what most people did, with few exceptions. I think that's why so many people at the score and beyond have such respect for somebody like terry right terry Bores, because he was not the conventional talk show host in the sense that like he wasn't about having opinions that were gonna you know that pounding fist angry like he was witty and clever and weird and strange but still very opinionated and a very dynamic personality and you know it, it's but being mad is the first is the easiest place to go to, right? And uh, you took the easy road, Lawrence. I so did. <laughs> I did, and then then I evolved. And then you evolved. I, I and I'm I'm happy that I did. I still I joke with people like I still have it in my bag, mm-hmm. like it's still in yeah. there if I need it. And and there are times when I get angry, and people have gotten angry with me about some of the stuff that I've said on the air. But usually, my goal is to be able to back up that passion and emotion with facts and and that's why so i mean there there have been times where i've been in feuds with well obviously i was in feuds almost every day with lovey smith at hallis hall but (laughs) but even dealing from a talk show perspective being in a feud with the white Sox for something that i said or how angry i sounded on the air and and i know about myself now one of the things i've learned is that i'm kind of scary when i'm mad like it's Mm -hmm. and and it even comes through in just my voice so I have to be careful in the way that 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 I get a point across sometimes because I don't want to come off. And in some cases, I don't want to come off as the angry black man. Sure. Uh, but I have to be careful in the way that I use my voice for those times when it's really needed. Like when when it really need when a point needs to be driven home, then you pull the driver out the bag. Otherwise, you know, give me that seven iron. I can do fine with just the seven iron. Be fine. Well, and you know this, I think good talk show hosts have that contrast and variety, right? So when you need to get mad, you can, but when you need to be, you know, goofy, you can, when you need to be sad, you can, well, you know, whatever it is, to me, a good talk show host has, has that. So you know, as you evolve, you're right, then you're getting your point across about being mad about something um, becomes more, more impactful to the audience right like oh he must you know this might must really touch him as opposed to every day i'm mad (laughs) when do you you think that that changed around the industry where we went from not that there aren't still the screamy guys in the industry but it seems as if we're in a place now where 
that isn't the selling point for most sports talk hosts? Well, I think that a lot of it is because of the fragmentation. You know, there's so many more options now. So I think that there has to be that ability to be more dynamic. And as before, you you only had a few options, right? So whatever you were, you were. And that's all you had anyway. So people were going to listen. And now, you know, I think that there's just so many different options. You kind of have to differentiate yourself in, in, in a way that is different. And because uh, it gets it gets tired after a while. And so I think that that's what kind of forced people when, you know, whether it's more sports stations that started popping up and then obviously podcasts and the Internet and everything, you know, all the online s- content that's available. It, it just that changed the dynamic before it was like one station or one and a half or, you know, maybe two in a market. And those are the only guys that talk sports all the time. So. You know, you can be that fist pounder and then go, okay, well, this is all there is. So, of course, I'm just going to ride that. And then people kind of graduate, right? Like somebody like Mike Francesa, you know, he, he, he's got – he's so well established that he can kind of continue that and carry it for a long time because he has built such that great foundation uh, for himself there. But new people kind of coming up, I think that they – yeah, there, there definitely needs to be a different approach. You've worked in a bunch of different regions. Does sports talk change from region to region? Oh, for sure. It's so different. Um, you know, different cities. You know, New York is very different than L.A. as far as the sports fandom goes. Uh, they're, they're great sports fans. It's just the personality of the sports fan, I think, is different. And you do have to be mindful of that when you're programming a station for sure um so how let's let's use new york and los angeles as examples how are they different from each other well kind of simply put right in new york you could talk about whether aaron boone should have laid down the bunt to get you know gliber torres over and and that cost him the game for like three hours right you could just like go and just pound it and go on and on. And guys are calling up and they're like, yeah, he should have done it. I can't believe he didn't bunt. And, you know, it kind of goes on, right? Here, if you tried to do that, people are like, what in the world? It's like, there'll be three people listening. Like, there's just not that sort that sort of passion in detail with some sports. I mean, the Lakers drive. Uh, the Lakers, you can get into a little bit more detail there for sure. Like, you can dig in the dirt with them a little bit more but you still wouldn't uh you know just go into that how granular it can get sometimes right it just that is not it just wouldn't work here it's already a struggle enough i mean there's so many things to do and you know it's just a different environment in general in in la Uh, i love it but it's different yeah you you couldn't do that sort of thing where why didn't dave roberts bunt you know cody bellinger over and let's talk about it for four hours so how do you go about helping program a station with a fan base like that? And, and what type of hosts do you want? Uh, for me, it just that's those dynamic hosts, right? The ones that can be funny and have a good time, be serious when they need to be serious. You know, if we need to talk about Manny Machado being traded to the Dodgers, then, you know, we can dig into that. And, and anybody on the station can. But they can also laugh at something or find an angle around whether it's sports or non-sports 
that are funny or create bits. You know, we talk about bits. You know, we were talking about bits earlier. Like our morning show has just some really funny bits that are totally not sports related and just to kind of build that personality. So, and it's okay to do that. We can kind of take those off ramps a little bit more. Uh, and then you, know, you still want to come back to sports, but I think you're afforded more of those opportunities. So you want talent that can do that and are comfortable in those places. You know, that, at least that's what I look for, you know, especially here. You got to be an entertainer. If a young, talented talk show host or reporter or anchor is trying to get your attention with a demo, is it even possible to do that at this point? It's possible. I mean, so much of it is out of their control, though. It's like when you send it and, you know, where what's going on at that time. You know, sometimes someone will send me something and, I'll just have a moment of downtime, right? And it pops up and you're like, okay, let me click on this and see, right? And then other times where I'm in kind of in the thick of it and you, you just never get back to it. Uh, you know, so it is, it's hard. It's definitely hard to cut through. But, you know, I think in, in general, it's still doable. You just got to be a little bit more creative. Uh, what What I don't like personally is like, I'm the guy for you. I can do all these great things. You, you know, all that kind of stuff. And some people love that, but like, I don't, I don't need that self-promotion. Just kind of show me what you can do, right? If you send me a demo and go, you know, hey, I'm young. I want to get better in this business. You know, listen to this and tell me what you think. Uh, that kind of appeals to me more than somebody telling me like, I'm the greatest thing. Now they might be. But immediately I'm like, you know, are you like who told you that? Like, are you already you like that? picking at them? If you, if you yeah. get a guy that feels that way, are you already looking at it and going, OK, well, now I've heard uh, 15 seconds. And in your your intro, I know that you're not the greatest. Well, Let me yeah, see what I mean, else is wrong with your tape. Exactly. I do think that that plays out. And some of that's probably a flaw in my own personality as well. So it's not totally their fault. I mean, I, I have some. uh I have some culpability in that as well, but it, it puts me, and, and I wouldn't say this is the case for every programmer, so there's not a one-size-fits-all. It's all very gray, but for me, it just feels like that idea of I've got it all figured out, here it is, like, eh, I don't know about that. Like, I would prefer someone who says, who feels confident about what they're doing but doesn't have to be selling it like they're the greatest and just let me of figure that out on my own without you having to tell me because <laughs> i always feel like in general if you tell me you're great most of the time you're not uh, it just based on things i've heard like oh, i'm great i'm so good yeah, this is great oh my gosh and then i listen and you know they give me like a 10 minute interview of something and i'm like how could they think that was great <laughs> you know and maybe somebody does think that but you know i i definitely struggle with that you know it, it's very subjective how do you navigate your own person? Because I, I know some of your beliefs, your own personal beliefs when it comes to diversifying sports radio versus catering to the audience. Well, I I kind of take the approach of let's just do the best we the best sports radio we can do, and I don't I, I want a diverse diverse voices because to me. 
you know, we always talk about, oh, we want these different perspectives and everyone's got to have a unique perspective. Well, I can tell you one thing that automatically qualifies you as a unique perspective is, you know, if you're a minority, right? Immediately you have a perspective on things that, you know, a lot of people don't have. So I do think there's some uniqueness there, but in general, it's just like, let's just do interesting, engaging shows and we'll kind of, I, I think if we do, it sounds cliche, I get it, but I think that if we do good content, that it won't matter. You know, it'll be fine for everybody or a good amount of the audience because I do want the most amount of people listening for the longest amount of time. That's always my goal. So I feel like if you do really good content, that all kind of figures itself out. But how do you overcome this notion of the sports radio listener is a white guy who's probably 40 years old? And only wants to hear white guys that are 40 years old. I just don't entertain the notion, I guess. You know, like, I, I'm like, okay, that's fine if you think that. But I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I just don't get engaged in that. <laughs> like I, I, I don't. And maybe that's a mistake or maybe that, you know, is something that is could be seen as a negative for me. But I don't sit around and go, you know, imagine the 40-year-old guy. He's white and he's this and he's that. Like, I, I don't think about it that way. I, I just think about it as, you know, if you're doing good content, it doesn't matter if he's 40 or 25 or 50. It's going to be, you know, they're going to want to listen and stay engaged with us. So I think that if you don't, if you don't entertain the stereotype, then it will, then it doesn't exist in a way, for me at least. Like, I just, I do never think about it that way. And I never have. Do you miss being on air at all? A little bit. Every once in a while. I I, I don't, I wouldn't do it um, now, but I do miss it every once in a while because it's, uh, it is liberating. You know, you get a chance to kind of speak your mind in a way that, um, you know, as long as you're not breaking any rules or, you know, doing something that your company will frown upon, you there is kind of something very liberating about it that I've always appreciated. And that's why even when I work, when I work with talent, I really do try to let them have a lot of space to play. You know, there's always going to be some boundaries and you kind of got to work with them, but, but I want them to do their thing. I do not want to control them. (laughs) Like that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to kind of help facilitate them doing great shows. So you go do you and, you know, we hired you to be you, and we'll, you know, give feedback and tweak things and kind of work through things. But, um, but yeah, I, I just, I'm sure you can relate to this. It's, it's, it can be liberating to get on the air and just do your thing. Do, do you ever? How, how much of your on-air experience do your on-air talent know? Oh, not very much. Some of them are like, you were on the air? Oh, you must have sucked. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of <laughs> did. But, <laughs> oh, yeah, they most of them don't know, especially out here in, in L.A. Like, sometimes, every once in a while, someone will like, oh, yeah, I listened to that. I remember you guys or whatever. But in general, they don't know. I think that they assume that I was, I was like, made and bred in the management factory, and then I came out as a thing, and it was like, you must do this now. I am a manager. You know, that's a lot of the guys are like, you don't. What are you talking about? But 
Yeah, and I think it's better off kept that way, maybe. <laughs> they don't know, because maybe someone would try to find some of those things and be like, wait, you try to help me do a better radio show? You did that? Uh, I could always say I was young, um, yeah, very young at the time, but still... Best that we keep those buried, Lawrence. Yeah. Buried very deep in the earth. It's a good thing that people don't use tapes anymore. Yeah, I'm it's just you, good. Could you imagine now, like, you could not hide your content, right? No. Like, There's no be, way. Like, and, and what would happen is someone would come out and be like, look at this thing that he said 15 years ago on his radio. It's more than 15 now, but whatever. 20 years ago on his radio show, he's a, you know, he's the worst person in the world. Oh, my gosh. And. You know, because, you know, you know, every tweet can be can and will be used against you in a court of public opinion. So, um, yeah, gosh, I'm just I'm very happy that I kind of came in on the front end of that and got out before anybody can hold me accountable for any of my statements. This is true. I mean, there is still stuff here in the audio vault, though. Oh, I'm sure there's a few things that you guys have held on to. (laughs) It's still here just in case we need it. I know. In case you are, you end up uh, being a Supreme Court nominee or something uh, like that, <laughs> we, we can bring I, all that stuff back. You will not have to worry about that. Believe me, no one will. Uh, no one will rely on me to judge their fate. At least I hope not. Uh, well, how how close were you to to leaving sports? Because you're a guy of of varied interest and you're well read. So was it was there ever a point where you thought? Maybe I can move into other forms of communication and maybe I could be a a programmer at a news station or do feature news stories. Was there ever any thought, like serious thought to doing that for a long time? Yeah, I mean, there definitely was. Even when I went back to WGN, uh, you know, I'd gone to Detroit and then I kind of came back to GN as the assistant program director. Part of that was because I wanted to get into the news aspect of things Uh, and while I do appreciate it and especially now in the the environment that exists politically I'm very happy to be in the sports world now you know they do cross over obviously you know there's no denying that but in general I'm happy to be here because it just keeps things in a pretty good perspective considering the current climate and you just you can't really even have fun with anything anymore um i mean you remember even as a producer i was a producer when um when george w bush was president right and i always used to take clips and you know out of context and have fun with it and it was all in good fun right i mean he was just he would always say goofy things and you could kind of have that fun with it you really can't do those sorts of things now uh, in the current environment so I thought about it, but I kind of felt like this was a better playground for me, um, and, and it didn't feel like so, you know, there's a little bit of like this feeling of life and death almost in the news world, in the news cycle now, where, yeah, we are like, we pound things into the ground in sports too, but it's still just sports. <laughs> it's still not, you know the beginning or the end of the world if you will so i, I kind of like it in this in this space you know currently now that could change and i wouldn't be surprised if it did at some point but right now i'm happy how do you disconnect from it because you're you're in charge of a radio station you've got all this talent that you're trying to juggle what's going on with them but you're also a news junkie like you're a, a crazy news junkie 
So how do you let go and disconnect from the world when part of your job is to keep up with what's going on in the world? Yeah, it's hard. I, I will say this. I think that the, the best way that I disconnect is spend time with my kids. I mean, you know, my wife and kids, I, I know that sounds cliche too, but it's like you don't really have much of a choice but to disconnect in a certain way uh, when they're around. You know, they're my kids are young. Um, you know, I get a four and a two-year-old, so, you know, they're still all up in my grill all the time, and <laughs> they want to hang out, and they want to do this, and you know, they're tugging on my leg and let's go outside. So you just got to do those things. And so um, that is, it's almost built in there. Uh, so that kind of helps me out in that. I mean, are you ever completely disconnected? It's very, very rare, even on vacation or something. It's, you know, you're still, you're still checking your emails and you're still on Twitter and looking at different things. And I always do like to know, um, you know, even on the news side, like I keep the news stations on on the background on TV along with the sports just to kind of keep an eye out on things. And if something big happens, you know, I'll, I'll maybe shift a little bit of attention to it. But the kids definitely make you <laughs> pay attention to other things or, or kind of decompress out of that because they need all of your attention. And then when you're done with that, you're exhausted and you fall asleep. So there you go. I always, I always love to talk to parents about this. Not that I don't have any kids that I know of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but how do you, how do you think it's changed you being a parent? Oh boy. Um, first of all, I'd like to solicit if you do think that you might be the son or daughter of Lawrence Holmes, please, um, you know, contact him. I'm sure you could find his email on the Scores website. Yes, um, easily. Yes, very easily. Dad. Uh, no, I think it's a good question. I hear people answer this question, and I kind of laugh at it because I don't believe them most of the time, but. Um, I think that it has made me work to be more patient. That doesn't mean that I am more patient, <laughs> but it forces me to try to be more patient in general because that's the hardest thing to have is patience, I think, as a for me as a parent. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been flow with it, but I, like, I really try to work hard to, like, breathe and be patient with them as they're screaming at me because like this morning my two-year-old son wanted to take a stroller a baby stroller with him to daycare and I'm like no and then he proceeded to scream for the next 10 minutes about it and it's like you just got to breathe through that so that I never really had a reason to put that much effort into being patient before and now I do because you don't want to be you, uh, for me, I just don't want to like fly off the handle or lose it or be mad all the time or be frustrated all the time. Uh, so that's, I think, been a big change for me is the amount of effort I put into that with some degree of success and still got a long way to go. It kind of sounds like his dad. <laughs> oh, yes. Doesn't get his way and just screams. He just or... complains and complains. <laughs> I've tried to be a little bit better as I've gotten older, just a tiny bit better, just a but again, if you think you might be Lawrence's home son or daughter, please email him at the score 
670thescore.com, right? That's the website? Yeah, they can find me there. That's right. We'll, so we'll he, do he's it ready. all on Maury. He, he, he is ready to come clean. He's ready to embrace you. I am financially and, uh, set so that I can absorb the cost of colleges. And Well, wait a second, though. It depends how many. Like, don't be oh, saying no, that Oh, no, you're yet. right. Like, you're 100% also, you right. Get seven emails. It's yeah. Like, that's a game changer. <laughs> I'm You're going to like, Harvard. Oh, yeah, great. Like, hey, Mitch, can we talk about my contract? <laughs> can, we, can we please? Uh, I need I've to got up an issue these. that came up, right? I've got, I need more appearances, and I need them, <laughs> I need them pronto. There's Lawrence on the top of a blimp uh, outside of the, you know, deja vu. Hmm, <laughs> shocking. Weird. Yeah, it's shocking uh-huh. that, that, that that would be the case. <laughs> I, I'm fascinated when I think back of like, where we started, where – you're talking about grease pens and reel-to-reels oh to, to now a, a lot of the elements of the show, and I'm sure at some point like this podcast will be video as well as audio because I just think that's the direction that everyone is going in. What do you think of where we're at? And here's, here's what I really want to ask you about this because I have an issue when it comes to getting the content out. And obviously people are like, oh, well, you know, you got you need to be on multiple platforms and the content needs to be on multiple platforms. There's times when I feel like that fractures your audience share. And if I, I kind of like the idea of bringing someone to a particular medium versus me having to, well, I'm going to reach you on this medium and I'm going to do this and do that. I don't know if you can grow a giant fan base by doing all of that, but that might just be the dinosaur in me. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that that definitely is the dinosaur in you because I think you gotta, you know, you've got to go where the people are, especially now. You know, like there's just they're all over the place. Like the way I see it is, if you're putting out all this content to all these different places. You're right in the sense that is it going to fracture your rating success on the on the radio? Probably, right? But you also know that you know, I think for those who can kind of see the forest through the trees a little bit, you know that you want to be everywhere. And, and eventually, it's still wild, wild west-ish, but eventually people are going to figure out how to properly measure and monetize all of these things, right? So that's why I think that you're, and you're still, you know, you're still considered young, you know, and, 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 you know, or maybe like young, maybe kind of old, maybe (laughs) a little, like a little bit old, not dead, but not dead. So you're considered not dead, so that's good because you can still have a you, know, you still have a career in front of you, and you during your time in this business, there will be a full transition, right? It's still happening, and it's you know it, there is a lot of wild wild west, but I think you gotta be, you do have to be all over the place and kind of touch as many people as possible through a bunch of different mediums. If you try to get to uh, yeah, if you try to get too cute, <laughs> I think that you'll be very easily forgotten because of that fractured, like you mentioned, the fractured nature of how media is consumed now. Do I sound real professional when I say that? You do. The, the fractured media in which, the fractured way in which media is consumed. I try to be, you know, I try to sound professional at times. No, it's good. I mean, this is yeah. why you're a boss and I'm a worker, oh. B. 
believe me. Yeah, ask people around here. They might challenge you on the whole boss part. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I like being out with talent that are, but you've got to do it with purpose, too. You right. You just be like, you know, that is what, one of the things that is happening that is a problem. It's like, let's just throw all this content out here, and it's not purposeful and then you run into problems right that's that, that's, like, that's kind of my thing where it's, it's like the strategy of it is well let's do digital let's do digital okay why are you doing it why are you doing digital is it just like if, if you just want to show someone clicks like see we're doing this on digital there there's i feel like there's still a lot of advertising agencies that don't understand how to monetize digital content Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I, they, a lot of times they don't even understand what they're sponsoring. <laughs> like they have no idea, so they're just throwing ads on there because there's a bunch of clicks or impressions. I, I think for sure, and that's why I think over time, you know, the, the manage or the the measurement of it will evolve into a more, you know, into a better place because we have the, an- the ability to to have the analytics right and. You know, there's still some fine tuning to be had, but eventually it's gonna, it, it is gonna go that way. And but you're right, like have a purpose in what you're doing. I think that is important. Like, listen, any like clown radio sports talk show host who hosts at night in a major market, you know, from six o'clock to wow. like ten, could just throw on a podcast, right? And wow. Go, hey, here I am, but. Um, you know, you've got to, if you do have a purpose or a theme or a hook or something that brings them in, I think that that's gonna, you know, that's important. But, uh, and I wasn't talking about you, by the way. Right. You were talking about Jonathan. Great. Jonathan. Exactly. You were talking about Hood. It's fine. You know, I'm sure he appreciates that. Yeah, I'm sure he does. I'm sure. Well, I I love Jonathan. Well, as you should, he's one of the most talented guys in sports radio. Still. One of the most talented guys in sports radio. <laughs> I, I always like to ask my guests that, that are on, what advice do you have for people that want to get to where you are? I think just be look, be open and willing to kind of engage in the politics of all of it. Right. Like I think that what what I find is a lot of people just don't want to deal with that stuff, and it makes it a lot more difficult to succeed. But if you deal with it, you don't have to sell your soul to the devil. I mean, I did that, but that was a long time ago, and had nothing to do with poli- nothing to do with like professionally at all. But I think that if you really want to have success, you kind of you've got to play the politics. You got to know who's important to talk to, and when, and why, and when you walk into a room, you know, I always tell people, you've got to be able to read the room and know who your audience is and what you should say and what you shouldn't say. And, and it sounds very anxiety ridden and to a certain degree it is, um, but it doesn't, if you can kind of get comfortable with it, it will become second nature to you. But putting that effort in, because I think people just kind of walk in and they, you know, they're not looking around and they're not seeing who's important or who's not or maybe this isn't the time where I should say this maybe it's another time and you know maybe I should have a different sort of conversation that I was thinking about 
those sorts of things are important and you know if you can play that game uh and again you don't have to sell your soul this isn't doing something you still should be you but just be aware and you will be able to succeed you will be above a lot of people because some people just have no interest they don't want to deal with that so it's easy to kind of for them to make mistakes and then be overlooked are you watching luke cage at all I'm actually just going to start. Like, I just finished Jessica Jones. I, I watched the first season. I haven't watched the second season of Luke Cage. I just finished the second season of Jessica Jones. So, next, I'm into Luke Cage, which I love. But I love the first season. I was and listening to the soundtrack before we recorded today. It's so good. Like, it's... The first season or season two? Season two soundtrack is so good. Don't listen to it because it plays a, a pivotal role in the season. But there... And I, I mean, I don't. I've talked about it on Twitter a little bit. I don't know if you saw it, but Thomas Jones is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I did see that. He yep. he's great as Comanche, and I, it's so funny. I I joked with him about this on Twitter. Name drop. Um, <laughs> that now, if you look up Thomas Jones's Wikipedia page, it says Thomas Jones is an American actor. Look at that. That's impressive. It's a guy who played twelve years in the league and ran for ten thousand yards. And now his, his Wikipedia page says Thomas Jones is an American actor. Wow. Like, that's a great transition. That is a great transition. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait. That'll give me that much more motivation because I love the whole, you know, I'm a geek. I love the whole Defender stuff and Marvel. Like, I'm all in on all that. So, I, uh, and the soundtrack to season one of Luke Cage was awesome. So, I love that too. And, you know, I, some songs on there i'm like who is this this is amazing and then i have to go look it up like and you're like i never knew there was a guy named jadena and you're like no i didn't but i love that song and i'm like now i listen to all kinds of stuff and i did not you know i'm like you know and i know that's laughable you're like oh you cute little white person (laughs) you but (laughs) i know i get it I, i admit it i admit it it's uh yeah hip is uh it is not high on my list of attributes. I would say that, but uh, just ask my wife; she'll tell you. Yep. But you know, we try, we try. Tell, try tell me if relevant. this is rational. If this is a rational way for me to think about this, I did not want to go see Ant Man and Wasp, and the reason that I didn't wasn't because I don't like Evangeline Lilly. I we're both fans of Evangeline Lilly. I really like Paul Rudd. I think he's amazing. I was not in a mental space after Infinity War for two hours of laughing at a Marvel movie. Like, I wasn't in the mood for cute after what happened in Infinity War. I think that's fair, and I think that that they probably recognize that to a certain degree, but it could, pro- it could play the other way too, right? People were maybe really wanted that as kind of an escape or a juxtaposition to it to the end of Infinity War, so... Yeah, I I do think that it made sense to release it when they did, but you've also got to know that there are some people who are just aren't in the right mind space for it. But I've also seen feedback that like, oh, it was nice to kind of, you know, take a deep breath and not worry about how many people are going to disappear when a finger snaps and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think it was it made sense, but I get that. I haven't seen it yet either. I'm not kind of ready. Yeah, I I will be soon. I'm getting there. But, yeah, it's going to take me a little time. But I wasn't like, let's run out and go do this. I, I, we yeah. went We went this last weekend. We went and saw it. And I, I said to Mel, I go, 
everyone keeps telling me I need to see it, that there is, you know, some connection to the Infinity War stuff that's significant. And I was like, I just, I'm not ready for two hours of ha-ha with Paul Rudd and his crew. And I said, all right, let's go see it. So we went and saw it, and I walked out of it angry. I was like, I was exactly right. I was yeah. 100% right that this this did not satisfy me at all. Yeah, you're going to have to go. You probably have to take a little bit of time and go back to it, you know, in a year. Well, the weird thing is, obviously, the next one's coming out next year. So however that ends or, you know, however that you sit with that, you'll probably still want to rewatch Ant-Man and the Wasp before that. <laughs> Just to like, because after that, I don't know. I don't know exactly where they're going to go with things, but... I, I get it. I can see that. You know, I, I could definitely see that. It makes it makes a lot of sense. I I'll see it eventually, but I definitely did not need to like rush out and be like, oh, I need more. I need more. It was, yeah. And for a period of time, by the way, I had kind of burned out a little bit on the Marvel movies. Like I took a break for a couple years. Like I didn't see, I didn't see the original Ant Man and Wasp for a while. I like took a break from. Yeah, there was a few in there. Doctor Strange and uh, I was just Thor like, okay. two. Yeah, it was just a little Iron bit Man too 3. much. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I just need to take a little bit of a break, and then I came back to it. But they've also done a good job. Like Thor Ragnarok was great. They, it was funny and engaging, and like you know, Thor two. It was just like, you know, I, I mean, Natalie Portman's like, why am I here again? What? Why am I on this set? I don't understand. She seems what to do that in a lot of action movies over no, the last fifteen years. It is funny. Like she's. I'm like, you signed up for this though. <laughs> like you knew what this was. Why are you like? And I love Natalie Portman. I love her, but she's just like, the idea of being confused on the set of a superhero movie just baffles me. Like you know what you're getting into here. I mean, eventually she kind of pulled the parachute on it, which makes sense. But um, yeah, she. But so I, I, I kind of burned out a little bit, but then came back to it and got re-ramped up in time for yeah, Infinity Wars. And so, like, I feel in a good place. But, yeah, I haven't been ready to run out and see Ant-Man and Wasp. I needed kind of a breath after Infinity Wars, Star Wars. Like, there's a little bit of, like, and I don't get to see movies very much because I have what they call in the business children. Mm -hmm. who do not afford you the opportunity to go do much many fun things in your life. So... Yeah, it's like, you know, unless you get a babysitter and have to pay her like $36 an hour, um, which is frightening to me. I'm like, I remember it used to be like $5 an hour. When I was a kid, it was like a nickel. And that's all you had to pay the babysitter was a nickel. Now it's like, oh, yeah, my rate is 36 I'm like, you, you make $130,000 mm -hmm. a year being a babysitter. <laughs> this is amazing. Why am I not doing this? But, um, yeah, so I, I have to be thoughtful around around that and the expenditure and the time and everything so i do get to i have to pick my spots otherwise i just have to wait at home till they come out and be that guy where i'm like i can't go to the movie i'm gonna watch it at home that's my that's me old man lawrence i'm an old man now it's not it's bad true. it's not a bad life all right go <laughs> do go go do your other stuff go go, go. all right i, yeah, got I gotta this. go uh be responsible but lawrence i love you keep up uh keep up the good work and tell um you know i heard terry was in the building Is yeah still uh tell him give him some love for me i, I love will that man i, I love will. that man like a father uh like a father that's probably not the best father to have but is a lot of fun but is very strange i feel like that's know. why he's an uncle no yeah i guess that's true he is kind of your uncle 
And you'd never want to bring your girlfriend around to him as a father because could be like, that was that was interesting. I will not date you anymore. Yep. I'm out. But, yeah, I, f- I feel that. But, Lawrence, thanks for having me on the podcast. Good luck with it. I know that I'm, like, the least important guest you've had on so far. So uh, I hope that this doesn't take you down to the bottom of the iTunes rating list. Nope. Um, we'll still be in the top 200. Yeah, but, you know, if you like it, give it, what is it, uh, give it a like or five stars five on stars. iTunes and everyone will love it and it'll be great. Five, two, it's like, okay. That's didn't you enough. didn't you just say that we had to be on every platform and we needed That's to, right. So that's I'm, what it is. I'm going to tell you this, that you will get one five-star rating for this podcast, yes. I promise you. The minute you post it, I'm be like, <laughs> that guy is so insightful. He's so smart. I, I, I want to work for him for the rest of my life. And maybe even be with him. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I'm taken. Uh, It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, the amount of attention I'm going to get from this. But I will persevere. I will do my best. But, Lawrence, I do love you. I love you, too. You are simultaneously the best and the worst. (laughs) My worst best friend. I try. (laughs) Go back to work. Later. Now, I could have talked to Z for hours, literally hours, and not gotten bored because there's so much stuff that – he has in his brain so much information that he has as someone who is a, a big-time boss in this industry. But what I really love about listening to him throughout the podcast was the information that he was passing along is good to know. It, it's good to know for – and I think that it actually transcends industries. If you're – the advice that he gave about – your resume reel. It's the same thing with your resume. I, I love the idea of him sitting there listening to someone who's like, well, I'm this and I'm that, and you've got to hire me because I'm blah, 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 and then nitpicking their tape and being like, nope, you're none of those things. You don't make any sense at all. But it was fun, and it was really fun to re-engage with him. And what was cool is, um, and I want to thank Mitch Rosen, by the way, because he's letting me use the score studio. Z was actually at his studio in Los Angeles, and we were able to hook up the board. So I wanted to thank Mitch and, and Brendan McCaffrey for uh, uh, fixing that up for me and allowing me to do it because I think it sounded really, really good instead of having Z over the phone. And we had to cut it short because he had stuff to do because there's all sorts of stuff going on out in Los Angeles right now, as you can imagine. So I hope you enjoyed it because I really did. That, that's, that's one of my dudes. Like if in an industry where you have a lot of colleagues and maybe not a lot of friends, uh, that guy is not only my friend, I consider him my brother. It's the same thing as Jason Goff. Like so when I saw them back in March and I got to take a picture of him, I was like, it's so good when your brothers come home. And that's, that's how I feel about Z. That's how I feel about Jay, that – when I'm around those guys and I'm surrounded by those guys, like I feel more whole. Even had that same thing with this past weekend. I was uh, enjoying myself at the Silver Room party in Hyde Park, and up pops Ranji, and he's another guy that, that I would consider in that group. So I hope you enjoyed it. I really did. I, I really had a good time with that podcast, if you couldn't tell. But I also wanted to make sure that there was some cool stuff in there, too, so that you could enjoy it. So that's episode nine. Hope you rocked with it. I loved it. And I will see you next week. 
Ben Bradley is going to be next week's guest. Another trip down memory lane, but in a very different way. You'll see next week. Thanks for all the support. You can follow us on iTunes. I appreciate if you subscribe. It doesn't cost you a thing. Tell someone about the podcast. Share it with them. And if you've got questions, we're going to open it up next week. I'm going to add a question segment to the podcast. House of L podcast at gmail.com is where you can email your questions about any of the interviews or other weird stuff. I totally stole that idea from Bill Burr. See you next week.